So a thought experiment. You don't have to raise your hand, but definitely answer in your own head. Um, I think everyone in this room can participate in this, whether you've actually ever sat around on purpose and thought about it, or uh, if you've just developed thoughts from experiences or ways that you've been formed. You probably have a leaning one way or the other here. Which is the most obvious thought about God for you? That God is everywhere, omnipresent, all at once, or that God is here, close to me, in this place? Think about that for a second. Which is, which is most obvious to you, easiest to imagine? God is everywhere, or God is here? The first, I think, that's good. That's, that's my mom. That's where I <laughs> learned all this from. It's like St. Augustine, St. Monica, right? Um, the first, that God is everywhere, feels like a statement of power, maybe even a statement of power that we might be suspicious of a little bit. Uh, it's really quantitative. God is in all these places, quantity. Uh, this is what makes God God, is that no one we've ever met can be all these places at the same time, have all these thoughts at once, can be truly universal, all things to all people, right? God is everywhere. Or the second statement feels like a statement of in intimacy. It's kind of qualitative. God is near. God is close. What makes God God is that no one you've ever met can can kind of nestle into these close of spaces, can be this precise, this steadfast, this close, can be truly particular and concrete, closer than I am to myself. I'm often unclear what I thought or what I feel or how I love, but God knows. Um, this is kind of the territory of Psalm 139. You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know my thoughts. <laughs> that can sound like a threat or a promise, depending on what your thoughts are, right? So sometimes it feels like you have to choose or not, right? Sometimes it feels like when you're talking to people about God, like even other Christians about God, maybe people that you have a great deal that you agree on about God with, that this is where things start to break down, the picture of God. God is everywhere, God is here. That you're speaking a different language or expecting different things or praying different prayers or hoping for different outcomes. Uh, a lot of how we live and what we expect depends on what we think about God. What if you don't have to choose though? What if each of these ideas is kind of related to and built on the other? That God is here is related to God being everywhere. God is everywhere is related to God being in this place. The psalm we just read holds this tension. And when I say tension, I don't mean like add the two things up and divide by two and come up with a sum average. Like, uh, I, I mean, hanging in there long enough and holding on tight enough to apparent contradiction and not picking sides, but holding two big realities long enough that they either stretch you out and make you bigger or engage you with a bigger reality than you might have known otherwise if you just like leaned one way or the other or checked one of those boxes, right? Right out of the gate, Psalm 48 
presents a big and holy picture of God. The first line, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Some of you might have had um, kind of church experiences that really like highlight this kind of God. This is like fill the auditorium, cue the smoke machine styled like worship. Great is our God, worthy of praise. It primes our hearts and imaginations for something like an encounter with someone who is greater and who is beyond us. It, this picture of God explodes our categories and transcends our boundaries. This is telescopic worship. Like we're at the small end with the big end out in order to engage with this God who is not just international but who is intergalactic. Like this is, this God gets our praise because this God deserves it. God gets our worship because God alone is worthy. This is all true. <laughs> but then the psalm, same psalm, same line, switches modes almost to, to local, to, to concrete, things that you can touch and places you can go. This, this goes from telescopic to like almost microscopic, or at least it finds its way onto a map, right? It, the next line is, in the city of our God, God's holy mountain. God is, is located. God is little, not in a demeaning way, but little enough to be here, not there. God is not just in cities, plural, or mountains, plural, but God is in this city. God is on this mountain, specific, proximate, here. The picture then expands and zooms in. This is kind of like... The, the flow and the feeling of this whole kind of psalm expanding and contracting. Uh, it then moves on to say, beautiful in its loftiness. Again, grandiose, awe-inspiring. The prepositions I think of for, for this picture are like about, above, across, over, upon, right? Do you remember our prepositions, right? Yeah. And then the psalm then shifts to God is in her fortifications, revealing himself to be her safety. Maybe the prepositions are like amid, among, beside, between, in, near, within, right? Aside from all these kind of clashing descriptions and prepositions being important for, oh, say, how we think about God or how we understand the good news of Jesus being both fully God and fully human, truly God and truly human at the same time, and, and how that encounters and interacts with us, bridging our experience with God's, and God welcomes us into God's divine life even now. These things, I think, are important to the history and kind of the conception and some of the calling for Oak Church. And I brought pictures. I, I was telling Alan, uh, bless him, it's his first week up there, and I was like, I just have a lot of photos, kind of like your aunt would have a slideshow when she came back from a trip. So I want to show you some early pictures. Thank, thanks. Uh, this portion is sponsored by Google Photos, who lets you search by date and location. Uh, this is like the first picture. This is at the Gathering Church. On There's a, a, a timestamp on there. It says uh, the 23rd of June, 2014. And, and it says the plan that we had just voted on, or that the Gathering Church was kind enough and brave enough and maybe dumb enough to... Uh, be unanimous on following God's call to plant a church at LBC, Lakewood Baptist Church, by sending Chris and Rachel Breslin um, with others from the Gathering Church to establish a worshiping community and neighborhood ministry. 
that was that was the start. That, that was when the idea became something that you actually put on a board and take a picture and the wheels are in motion, right? As has been mentioned, this month marks our fifth anniversary and uh, I'm often able to share with a lot of you and maybe we've had coffee and we've had some of this like conversation about what the history of this place has been and where, where we're going. Um, but we, we started with that with that call, with that uh, mandate. Uh, this is a prayer meeting here um, that July of 2014. It's kind of like scoping out the place. That's Rach, you can notice her by her uh, beehive bun. It's going strong, five years in, in, in counting. Um, but uh, we started to assemble a group and one of the things we we uh, were trying to get a sense of and trying to figure out and trying to be animated by was a vision for what this ministry in this place would look like and why this place was actually important and part of this. And uh, some, some of the insights from the psalm and, and things that we'll talk about today and for the next month, like some of the, those we knew going in and some of those we've actually found out by being here. Uh, first off, we got our name from the kind of chapter and verse of Isaiah 61. We had done all those things looking for descriptive and prescriptive and exciting things to, to talk about our ministry, um, worshiping God with others uh, to, to the world or something like that, like worship, community, mission sort of thing. And nothing was as exciting as when we actually started to read the prophet's words. And we get to this chapter, and we found these words in Isaiah 61, and they were actually Jesus' words in Luke 4. Preach the good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Recovery of sight to the blind. Freedom to the captives. The year of jubilee. These, these exciting things that we, we, we knew this is lifelong work that we might never see the end of, but we knew where to start, and we knew which place to start in. Um, we... There was, I think, a little bit of pushback initially uh, to being here. That, that's a picture during our, um, our early core group meetings of some of our child care workers. And you notice you, you don't see any of these people around because we've sent them all. This is also part of our story we'll talk more about later. Uh, this is an art day that Abby led with Eva early on, uh, talking about creativity and, and getting our hands dirty in this place. I think Abby's crying back there. Um, this this is our first this is our first pig, uh, and that's Don and uh, Don Taylor and Mike Boone. Um, Don's at Duke, a professor at Duke, and Mike Boone is now a priest in uh, Washington near Seattle. That's Joe Longarino, the first Sunday of kid care after he accidentally stepped into a dark filled baptistry right here, and you can't really tell by the picture, but he's wet up to his knees. Uh, from from that experience. Um, this is when we started doing renovations. You can see the Pepto-Bismol pink in the education wing is now a nice shade of neutral gray. And that's when we took the divider from in between the stalls uh, uh, in order to create great fellowship among our people. <laughs> and this is our first Sunday in that, in that September uh, with a hand-painted sign by Nate Hood uh, that lasted for several years. And, uh, we're still working on some of the exterior space. And some of the pushback when we started was, isn't that vision a little too small to, to just be in this place, to just have eyes to this neighborhood and these people, um, especially if you're going to try to sustain something and really like do something great for God, shouldn't, shouldn't it 
be bigger? Shouldn't you try to like canvas this whole city with mailers and get the word out and try to be big and fast and strong and far? Um, and 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 what that's you know a way to do it, but that, I don't think that was ever our way or our calling. Um, it felt like there was enough work here to do already and enough challenge to, to be uh, slow and to learn faithfulness here and to call people into this way um, that we had, a, we had enough work to do. Uh, the, the other pushback we got, especially from some of our folks that haven't lived here, is especially five years ago, this neighborhood was kind of rough, and parts of it still are. Um, folks who live here can attest, like, I hear more sirens now that I live here than when I live five miles away. Um, and, and there's a lot of misconceptions around that. Um, uh, when, when, before we got here, we were looking at a church space over in the shopping center. And this is before you could even get a cup of coffee, Katie knows. Uh, you had to go to the YMCA ping pong table to get a cup of coffee, right? Uh, there were definitely not churros there. Um, but, uh, and so some, some of the kind of conceptions and misconceptions was, why, why there? Like that place, that place got left behind. That place got sprawled out. Um, that was kind of the story of the little church that had been here before. Like there had been good things that happened here, but that was like 30 or 40 years ago. This place was kind of forgotten. Again, we were reading Isaiah 61, getting these images of places being renovated and renewed, places that hadn't been uh, occupied for a long time, uh, and, and starting to see this vision of, of how we could not do it all, because we didn't, didn't have the people or the resources to do it all, but that we could be a part of that happening. Five years later, we're still a part of that happening, and, and it's really exciting to get to see some of these renovations and changes happening uh, in our building and, and around the neighborhood. Uh, mostly good, some not so good, but we're, we're trying to be a voice and a participant and a neighbor in that. Um, uh, around that time with some of those pushbacks, the, the, fr the phrase that kind of jumped into mind comes from a Wendell Berry uh, poem. Uh, and, and I will say this really motivated me is that there are no unsacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places. And I think that really, um, really, put into sharp focus that this isn't, this isn't an unsacred place. If anything, this is a sacred place, and if it doesn't seem like that, maybe it's a desecrated place, but a desecrated place always has a chance for God's presence to renew it. That's a really different picture than what, what I had experienced in church ministry and, and, and what some of the people that were um, probably trying to protect us from ourselves were telling us uh, when we came here. I don't think we were building this community based on a lot of reactions, which I think is good. Uh, Reaction-based um, startups tend to not be very great because they're more about what they're not about than what they uh, are trying to proactively build. But if we were reacting to anything, I think we were reacting against some sort of placelessness, some sort of idea that um, anywhere was good enough um, and that, w that it didn't matter where we were, we were just going to do whatever, you know. Um, the ways that uh, forsakenness and fear make it difficult or impossible to walk with God, like, in, in the place that you put it. When, when, when you are a placeless person, when, 
when you live every day kind of anywhere, it's really hard to engage with the hard people and the hard places that are right in front of you. Because you can just drive somewhere else, you can call someone else, you can, when you're placeless, you really can avoid things. When you're stuck in a place, or when you embrace your placedness, it gives you the challenge and the calling to be a neighbor. Even if it's gonna take a long time, even if you don't really like your neighbors that much. And, and so that's, that, that was some of the early conviction. Another thing that that led to, knowing that we would have neighbors and that we would need to learn to be good neighbors, it meant that we had to learn how, well, we had to learn about this neighborhood. Um, not just the high level demographics of this neighborhood, which are very diverse, and you can walk out the door and see that, uh, but the street level um, knowledge, implicit knowledge of this place. And that only happens over time. So from the get-go, it was a dedication to be here as learners, to understand who was here, who has been here. We look around even in the sanctuary and we see all these windows with names and some of these names have street names attached to them. Some of these names have uh, numbers under them that are real old, you know, um, that, that are way before our time. Uh, one of the things we got when we, when we were starting was a, um, a bound booklet, which was the history of Lakewood Baptist Church. And I, I, can, I have a PDF, I can share it with y'all. But it is fascinating, the names involved that you would know just from being around Durham that, that were part of this place. How um, F.A. Ward uh, of Ward Street um, started, in, and F.A. Ward owned the dairy uh, that is now Trosa. And then the Roll family, Fred Roll, in that window somewhere here, uh, they own the flower shop that's now Pine State Flowers. And so you have this, this deep history of people in this place. Uh, and that you can start to, if you know the history, you can start to see why things are the way they are and, and also imagine renewal and, and new things. Um, one of the first things we did together here was not plant a, a, a new flag, even though we were really uh, proud of our graphics and Nate Hood painted that beautiful banner. The first thing we did was we planted a garden. I think... I think the Lord helped us intuit that we would need to be here for a while and it would involve a lot of different seasons. Some seasons where we couldn't eat the tomatoes and the okra fast enough and some seasons where it didn't look like anything was happening. Like clover crop that was gonna make the next season way more healthy, but you weren't getting anything to eat this season and it didn't look like anything was going on, but under the surface a lot was going on. So that was a sign to us and a sign to our neighbors that we we're gonna be here for a long time in this place. I think along with that were a lot of convictions about God's presence. That God would continue if we had eyes to see and ears to hear and, and hearts and minds to imagine and hands to receive that God would provide gifts and clues and encounters and open up space. Planting a garden helped us be out front on our front porch. If you move to a new place, do stuff in your front yard, not your backyard. You'll meet your neighbors way faster. Uh, we threw parties. The first party, the first pig picking that we threw, had about 300 people here. The next day, two of those people came to church. Uh, that really disabused us of the idea that this would be fast or that it would be like Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come sort of thing, right? And that was good. I think that was healthy for us, if not a little disappointing at the time. Uh, one of those people was Gary Davis. Gary? <laughs> um, and so... 
you, know, you can see this, this picture starting to build. And, it, and if you stick, stick there long enough and, and get used to this sort of living, which is really slow, is really small, can be kind of frustrating because we're, we're so trained by our culture and, and other, other things to expect fast and expect uh, noticeable progress. Um, but but if, if you stick with it long enough, you start to, to be kind of retrained or discipled in this new way. In this new way where, where you, you can start to imagine um, the answers to questions like, what if exactly what I need is exactly what God has already given me? Um, instead of always walking around feeling like, man, I, I need this, I just can't afford it. Or... I, I really wish I had this, or or you play comparison games and, and you're envious towards other people. Like um, on a kind of church corporate level, uh, if you do this long enough, you start to you start to make enough space where you realize, like, oh, if if we feel called to do something, God has probably given us the tools to do that. And if God hasn't given us the tools to do it yet, maybe it's just not time yet, and we can wait. Um, that's that's a really hard discipline because uh, we we're really resourceful and we have tools to go out and get things if, if we feel like we need them. We have credit cards that we can go out and extend ourselves further uh, than, than we already are. And so um, a lot of starting this church, and I hope even going forward, even as we kind of grow, grow into this next season of not being such a young plant, is that we'll be disciplined in where we put our attention, um, how we view our resources, how we make partners. We've always tried to partner close to here, even if it costs a little more or is a little uh, more difficult. Uh, when we throw a party, we, we look around in the neighborhood and say, who, who should help us throw this party? Who should help tell our neighbors about this party? Who, who's going to have a good time at this party? Um, and, and so maybe we don't throw like the most exciting party that Durham's ever had because we don't drive out there and drive out there and drive out there to get it, but we have almost all of our neighbors engaged to, to making uh, a party truly in and of and for this neighborhood. These are, again, predicated on ideas about God, who is everywhere but is certainly here, that God continues to provide for us, like financially, monetarily, and and that's been amazing, but God has given us neighbors. One of our first Sundays here, uh, a couple walked across the street who had just moved to the area to start Div School, and that couple was Joey and Kelsey Morningstar. And Joey was our first intern at Oak Church. They just moved here from Arkansas, and they, I'm, I'm going to be kind and, and say that it wasn't just the ability for them to literally roll out of bed into the church that brought them there. It was something a little more divine. But God gave us this partner in ministry who, who was vital in conceiving and who, who got what we were trying to do. Um, uh, Joey was, was one of the, he, he was originally from Iowa, so he helped us start that garden right with good, good soil, right? Um, we're, given, we're given folks like Gary. Gary's like the mayor of this neighborhood. I don't know how, I, I would know half the people in this neighborhood if I didn't have Gary as like the ambassador introducing me to people, right? Or, or like Katie DeCanto, uh, I remember the first time she led music, she's, she's walking from her house with her guitar case. I'm like, this is the best thing ever, and I didn't even know it was going to happen. Or, 
We, we come here and God gives us these people of peace, people who aren't maybe completely um, on board or aren't Christian organizations or frankly don't really deal a lot with Christian organizations, but um, when you're committed to a place and when you're a good neighbor, they want to partner with you. And so we've been given these people of peace, people like the YMCA and the Scrap Exchange and Coco Cinnamon and, and others that, that um, again, challenge us to continue to be creative and generous and contented and outgoing in our approach to church, that, that, that we might do church with the doors open, uh, that we might worship God in the presence of our neighbors. Um, another key component of our of our five years together has been having people for a season and that can be soul crushing to lead a congregation when you know the clock is already ticking for how long you're going to have someone before they graduate or you send them off and it can feel like you have a bucket with a hole in the bottom at all times right or you can receive these people as great gifts that you've been given for a short period of time they can be formed and they can also help form this body of Christ. And then when it's time for them to go, you can send them. And we do. We lay hands. We send. And these people are all over the United States, all over the world. And this small little church has this growing footprint of people who have been formed around this table and around those tables and around tables in the neighborhood to expect and experience and extend Christ's love and grace to their neighbors. And it's a beautiful thing for a church this small to have people in all these places. And slowly and surely, all this stuff um, starts to actually leak into other parts of our life. This is not just like Christian stuff, right? Like this, this actually becomes um, an economic way of life where, where when you start to just buy things and form relationships in your neighborhood, you're also investing back into your neighborhood when you're spending more time in the neighborhood, when you're going to these parks, instead of driving 20 minutes to go to a nicer park or a different park or, or spend time elsewhere, you're, you're spending the economics of your time and your family's time here, you know? And, and so it's a, it's a really, uh, we'll stop there because I could just like babble on all day about this stuff. But it, again, I think this is mostly predicated on what we've been shown about God's presence that what we've been shown, that God is holy everywhere, but God is definitely holy here, and that we're called into that work. When I was reading these psalms, uh, I was reminded of this uh, biblical scholar, uh, Walter Brueggemann. He talks about the ways many of the psalms work for us, is that they, they're meant to orient us, and then to disorient us, and then to reorient or newly orient us into a new reality. And I think... Similarly, our life in the neighborhood, um, our life in this place and each of our individual places is kind of meant to first demystify us about God's presence and then like re-mystify us to God's presence. So what I mean by that is that to demystify God's presence is to say that God is here in just this place, <laughs> this normal place that you know and nowhere else at no other time, in order then that we might be remystified, that we can engage with God, that God is exactly here in this place. 
It's like the same sentence with a little different emphasis. And God is nowhere else at no other time in these details and in this person, the person that comes up to you, that God might be doing something here and now. All of God with us, which means we can throw our whole selves into this work. That every moment requires all of our attention, all of our creativity, all of our care, all of our worship. This is a discipline to showing up, right? All this means is, as Flannery O'Connor put it, that somewhere is better than anywhere. She was talking about writing. She was telling a writer, like, don't just write a story about some place that is interchangeable. Write about a place that you know. And it'll be a stronger story. It'll cut closer to the reader's heart. Because somewhere is always exactly where God is. That's not just anywhere and everywhere. God is everywhere, but God has made everywhere holy with God's presence and spirit here. This means that here is holy. This specific place, this complicated past and present place in this uncertain future that God is in these people, and God is especially in persons that you'll meet, like actual saints are walking around amongst us. Ones like us. Ones who have good days when they believe and they know, and bad days when they don't, and a bunch of kind of meh days in between, that, that we must learn to lean into Jesus' faithfulness to give us faith by grace and to be strong enough to hold us. Like, that's what, that's what living in faith means. And so this is, again, this is an a exercise, a practice of formation. It means that we are deeply formed by our place, I love when I meet new people and I ask where they're from. Uh, I immediately have a picture of what they must kind of be like, right? If you grow up in Minnesota, you're a different person than if you grow up in Tampa, Florida. And I know it already, right? But we're also participants. We can actually form our places. Not completely, unless you have a lot of money and a bunch of bulldozers, you can form a place, right? Um, but you can actually join in with what God is doing and has been doing for longer than you've been there and longer than you've been aware of it. You are formed by place, but you can be a placemaker with God. I think this is happening right now a little bit um, just next door here in the shopping center. Our friends with, uh, we're friends with El Futuro, and they have this alleyway in between um, two uh, shopping center blocks. And we partnered with them to do uh, stations in the street during Lent. And we're going to partner with them next, uh, the end of this month for our concert. And it's really cool because they have a vision for renewing that space. That space has normally been a place, and I've met some of our friends, some people are here that hang out in that place. Um, and it's been kind of a no man's land. And they have a vision to make it a some person's land, like a place where good things happen where, where uh, creativity is having, they're painting this giant mural. Where they let us put that art display up. They, um, that we're, we're doing this concert, and there's going to be sounds and, and smells of good food coming out of there. And they're not trying to drive anyone out of that space, but they're trying to re-beautify and, and uh, recreate that space. And, and we're, we want to be a part of it. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing on how you can be formed by that space, but also how you can take, how you can have a part in forming that space. So a lot of new folks 
ask some form of the question. I don't exactly live in the neighborhood. How do I get involved with what God is doing at Oak Church, or even can I? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You, you can, you are <laughs> involved. By attending to God's presence in this holy here, you can be formed and be part of the placemaking of this specific holy here. Like in ways that will help you grow in your ability to be formed and participate with God in all the other places. Like this is maybe your beta testing or your, your laboratory where you learn how to eat with someone at the table that you don't know, which is a skill. It's not something that we all have. Uh, you learn how to notice, how to pay attention, how to see people that you normally don't see or recognize things that are happening uh, amongst neighbors. Like, this happens in our worship gathering. This happens in Oak Kids Ministry, in the garden, around the Lord's table, around our potluck tables, and mustard seed groups, in the garden. Uh, it happens um, in our mustard seed groups. It happens uh, during our, our midweek morning prayer on the steps. It even happens socially during the week. That you're growing in your ability to experience and to extend Christ's presence in this world. Enough time here might allow you to say the words of Psalm 48. Later in that psalm, it says in verse 8, Just like we had heard, now we've seen it for ourselves in the city of the Lord of heavenly forces, in the city of our God. Or then it says, We dwell on your faithful love, God, in your temple, your praise. God, just like your reputation extends to the far corners of the earth, your strong hand is filled with righteousness. Over the course of this month, We'll continue to explore together some of the features of how God uses and marks places as holy and people as holy. One of those places is the temple. That's what the psalm is saying, that we want to be in the temple where we meet with God. This meeting of heaven and earth, N.T. Wright uh, reminds us that the psalms not only insist that we're called to live at the intersection of God's space and ours, of heaven and earth, but to be temple people. They call us to live at the intersection of sacred space, the temple, and the holy land that surrounds it, but also with the rest of our human space, the world where idolatry and injustice still wreak their misery, that we're, we're to be also in this holy here with God. This is the overlap of divine and creaturely presence. It's a meeting. The psalmist knows that this presence extends to the far corners of the earth, but is exactly also here. In this way, the temple is a microcosm. It's a, it's a little world inside of this big world. It's all of God experienced in this place, requiring all of our attention, all of our joy, all of our worship. The math on that is mind-boggling. It's like pouring all of the ocean into a paper cup and saying that you have it all there. All of God's faithfulness, all of God's justice, all of God's love in a small package. But as strange as that math is, I also find that kind of comforting. It means we have a place and a time to start here and now. Again, life with God gets demystified. Just start. God's already here. That's reliable. We can count on that. We don't have to enter into this long season of discernment to wonder where God is going to be. God's here. Just start praying. Just start praying. 
even if it's awkward. Just start inviting people, even if you don't feel like you're very good at it. Just start preaching good news to the poor and binding up the brokenhearted and freeing the prisoners and giving light to the blind and talking the crazy talk of forgiveness, of, of forgiveness of debts and forgiveness of sins. That's what Jubilee is. This also sounds quite a bit like Jesus, this intersection that God might choose to come to us through limits, through particularities, through small measures and details, through one-on-one relationships. This kingdom is grassroots. It's slow and it's small, but it is beautiful and it is true and it is good. Nothing is wasted in this kingdom. There's more than enough. There's a like density to this sort of living. It's a thickness, a texture of God's love. There's a patina of God's faithfulness that develops and deepens over time. And our efforts to start aren't the end. We might start this stuff, but we don't, we're not the end of it. That Wendell Berry quote that came from a poem at the beginning was actually about how to be a poet. Poets know how to start with what they are, but also to expect more. That's what a, a poem does. And so that very poem starts with these lines. It says, make a place to sit down. Sit down. Be quiet. <laughs> you must depend on affection, reading, knowledge, skill, more of each than you have. Inspiration, work, growing older, patience. For patience joins time to eternity. Make a place to sit down. Patience joins time to eternity. I love the way that the psalm closes. Verses 12 through 14. Walk around Zion. Go all the way around it. Count its towers. Examine its defenses closely. Tour its fortifications that you may tell future generations, this is God, our God forever and always. He's the one who will lead us to the very end. This is a prayer when you're prayer walking with your eyes open, when you're praying with your feet, when you're zooming in, when you're cultivating attention and care, when you're preaching good news through remembering and telling it forward, when you're being led, it's just making a place to sit down and joining your time to eternity through patience. This is opening up the holiness of everywhere in and through this holy here. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, thanks for, for this place. Um, it's exactly the place that you want it to be uh, right now and that you're calling us to join in with you um, towards renewal, not just the renewal of this place, but our own renewal is bound up in this place and with our neighbors. Open our our eyes and ears and imaginations to, uh, to see that and understand that more. Lord, thanks for these five years and all the insights you've given us and all the people that you've helped give us insights through. Um, really beautiful people, some that um, have been studying this, some who have been living this, um, others who are just joining in on this and, and having new life breathed into them. Uh, thanks for the kids that are a part of this journey. Uh, continue uh, to grow us in this slow and steady journey of faithfulness with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.